Being a Christian is hard. Well, take that back, sort of. It's not hard if you're going to be a nominal, half-hearted Christian. But if you're going to be all in for Jesus and you're going to fully devote yourself to following Him, take seriously His commands to do the things He has said to do, it's hard. I hear people periodically saying, being a Christian is easy. And I wonder, have those people ever actually read the Bible? Because the Bible tells us to do a lot of things. Hard things, I, I think. For instance, the Bible says, do all things without murmuring and disputing. Now, all means all. We are legitimately commanded by God in His Word to do everything in life without griping and complaining. Is that easy? Not for me. The Bible says, bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Again, God through the word commands us to actively do good to those who are actively opposing us. And let's keep in mind when Paul wrote that, persecution wasn't someone unfriending you on social media. Persecution wasn't someone reacting to your post on social media with an angry face. I mean, it involved actual physical violence against you. And Paul said, do good to them. Feed them. Give them something to drink. Well, think about what we talked about last week in the earlier parts of Joshua 5. To be so consecrated to God, we submit to Him in all things. All things. Again, all things. So in times when I don't want to do what God has said to do, I do it anyway. In times when I want to do what God has said not to do, I don't do it. To be so consecrated to God, we seek our praise from Him and only Him. To the point we are willing to anger people, even people we love, care about, respect, and want to respect us, for the sake of receiving praise from God and pleasing God. We're to be so consecrated to God, we take no confidence in our actions for our salvation. We rest wholly upon Jesus. We take no thought to our merits before God. To be so consecrated to God, we strive for holiness in every area of our life so we can be holy as our God is holy. We're to depend on God to the point we take risks. Risks that if God does not come through, we will fail. We're to be open for God to work in us, through us, and for us in any sort of new ways He wants to work in us and through us and for us. Which means, just the very nature means I can't live in my comfort zone. I can't live by what I've always done. I have to be willing for God to change anything and everything about how I live and what I do. Does anyone else think that sort of stuff is hard to live out? I mean, I, I do. I think it is extraordinarily difficult. And as I said, if you're going to take seriously the idea of being a disciple of Jesus, then we have to take Scripture seriously 
And that it says what God means. And it means what it says. And that is very challenging. Now here's what's even more challenging about all of that stuff. It's not that we do these sort of things every once in a while. We're to do these things all the time. That's so we are to always do good to those who persecute us. We are always to do all things without griping and complaining. We are always to be consecrated to God, dependent upon God, open to God. The reason that's challenging is because anybody can knuckle one or two of those things under every so often through sheer willpower. We can do a lot of things as human beings through sheer willpower. But Scripture doesn't call on us to do these sort of things occasionally. It calls on us to do these things consistently. Every moment of every hour of every day of every week. That's how we're to live. It's hard. In fact, the reality is it's more than hard. It's impossible. And so how do we do it? That's what we're going to find out today. So open your Bible to Joshua 5. Verses 13 through 15. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Joshua 5 and 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he looked, lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us, for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said to him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot. The place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome, worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Lord, we need you today to strengthen us to be able to follow Jesus. We need you to strengthen us to be able to do your will. Lord, we are not able to consistently live in the way you have called us to live. And Lord, this is intentional on your part, for it teaches us our desperate need to rely upon you. It is a constant humbling, reminding we cannot do it without you. As Jesus said, we can do nothing apart from him. Use what we talk about today to humble us. Use what we talk about today to bring us to the place where we do look to you. We look to Jesus for our strength to do what needs to be done. And Lord, we would quit having any confidence in our flesh, in our strength, in our intelligence, in our anything about our lives. And we would depend upon you to do the things you want done. Fill me this morning with your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Use this time. To just let your word sink deep into our hearts and bring forth good fruit into our lives. Have your way in all of us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So Joshua's crossed the river. They've circumcised, as God has said. And now they're looking to move forward yet again. And Joshua faces a difficult, if not impossible, task as he seeks to follow God forward. As he looked at the vastness of the unconquered promised land, he had to wonder how. How on earth could his motley band of former slaves take the land? Now, sure, 
His former slaves had learned to be warriors. They had been formed into warriors over the last 40 years, but it had been through trial and error. The enemies, on the other hand, they would face, had been trained to be warriors by men who had trained to be warriors by men who had trained to be warriors on and on. It went back as far as anyone could remember. The weapons Joshua's soldiers had were the spoils of previous victories. But they weren't made for these warriors. It was just sort of piecemeal. What they could find, if they could wield it, congratulations, there's your weapon. If it'll fit you, congratulations, there's your armor. Not so with the enemies they were facing. They had weapons made for them. They had armor made to fit them. They had been trained to wield the weapons that were made for them. Joshua's army would be made up by what we would classify as light infantry. And while we should never underestimate the power of the light infantry, they were also going to be facing defenders behind walls, cavalry on horses, and likely the early version of artillery. By any metric you would use, Joshua and his army would be considered outmatched and outgunned. They would most certainly be the underdog. How do you move forward following God when you're outgunned and you're outmatched and you're outclassed? Well, that's probably what Joshua was wondering at this point. And he's given an answer in an amazing way. Joshua has an encounter with someone who calls himself the captain of the hosts of the Lord. Now, despite the name, there's no indication this guy is going to be an actual military commander to replace Joshua leading the Israelites. So who is this mysterious captain of the host of the Lord? Well, I contend the captain of the host of the Lord is none other than the pre-incarnate Christ himself. Remember, Jesus is eternal. So while in his incarnation he was born one night in Bethlehem, he did not come into being at that time. He always existed and at various times revealed himself to people or to the people of God even before his incarnation. We're all familiar with the fourth man walking in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whose likeness was that of the Son of God, but that is not the only time we see something along those lines. Throughout the Old Testament, there are many angelic visitations, but one angel in particular stands out from the rest. And this angel either identifies himself or is identified as the angel of the Lord. And the primary characteristic of the angel of the Lord is he doesn't merely speak for Yahweh, he speaks as Yahweh. Take, for instance, the calling of Moses in Exodus chapter 3. We're specifically told in verse 2 that the angel of the Lord was the one who appeared to Moses and spoke to him out of the burning bush. But when the angel of the Lord spoke, he said, I am the God of your fathers. Clearly, this was no mere angel. But was in some way God himself. As New Testament disciples of Jesus, we know how. This was God Himself. It was an appearance of Jesus prior to His incarnation. Now I contend the same angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, who appeared to Moses at the burning bush, is this captain of the hosts of the Lord. Right Now let me take some time and just show you why I believe this. Consider this captain's words to Joshua. 
Joshua sees him. He says, are you on our side or on the bad guy's side? And the captain says, neither. I'm the boss. The captain then tells Joshua to take off your shoes for this is holy ground. Now remember, when Moses approached the burning bush and the angel of the Lord spoke to him out of it, what was he told to do? Take off your shoes for this is holy ground. Consider also Joshua's response to the captain of the Lord's host. He fell before his face and began to worship him. Now throughout the Bible, when the people of God or people would see an angel, they were glorious, they were great, and they tried to worship them often. What did the angels always say? See that you do it not. Right? I'm not the God. But what does the captain of the Lord's host do? He receives this worship. He tells Joshua to take off his shoes and Joshua takes off his shoes. He obeys. He calls him my Lord. He says, what does my Lord want me to do? Now consider also, Scripture wasn't written with chapter and verse divisions as we have in our English Bibles. The chapter and verse divisions that we have in our English Bibles were originally added to the Latin Vulgate around 1227 A.D. by Cardinal Stephen Langton. The Hebrew Old Testament was divided into verses by a Jewish rabbi by the name of Nathan in A.D. 1448. And then they were added to the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament around 1555. And you may be thinking, oh, that's neat. I didn't know that. What's the point? Well, since there were no chapter and verse divisions, let me read this as it would have been written in the original sort of Hebrew manuscripts without chapter and verse divisions so you can see the so what. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay. Before the captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said to him, What saith my Lord to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host saith unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereupon thou stand is holy ground. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because the children of Israel, none went in and none came out. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And you shall come past the city, and you men of valor, and you men of war, go around the city once, and thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark of the seven trumpets of the ram's horns. And on the seventh day you shall come past the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend upon every man straight up before him. And then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said unto them. So it seems as though this captain of the host of the Lord is the one who gave Joshua his battle plan. Hadn't you ever read this and it ended at chapter 5 and thought, what a sudden ending. And then it started a new story, but it doesn't. What we see in these first few verses of chapter 6 is the continuation of what starts and what we have is verse 13. Joshua sees the captain of the Lord's hosts. Who are you for, us or for our enemy? Now I'm here to be in charge. What do you want me to do? Take off your shoes. Now Jericho's straightly shut up, but here's what I want you to do to take it. And it said 
in chapter 6 that it was Yahweh. So again, the angel of the Lord, the captain of the Lord's host, speaks not for Yahweh, but as Yahweh. Joshua then moves out and obeys. Joshua needed help in knowing how to move forward, conquer the promised land. And he got it. God would guide him. God would help him. That was the help. God would strengthen him and make him victorious. We need help to move forward following Jesus. We need help just plainly in following Jesus. And Jesus gives us this help. And without his help, we cannot move forward. So our, our key truth is we can only move forward following Jesus in the strength of Jesus. We can only move forward following Jesus in the strength of Jesus. So how do we get help from Jesus so we move forward following Him? Two, two truths we see in this passage we need to do. First, we need to seek Jesus. Notice where Joshua's at the start of our text. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. Now the, we know that they were in the they've been in the territory of Jericho since they crossed the Jordan River, but the picture now seems to be Joshua is actually looking at Jericho. Joshua has seemingly gone off by himself to do some leadership scouting on his own. And he's staring at the walls of Jericho. And he's watching how people go in and out the gate. He's looking at the soldiers who check people. He's watching to see how the soldiers are armed and what they do. And he is possibly overwhelmed and thinking, what on earth are we supposed to do against that? Now look at what it goes on to say. That he lifted up his eyes. This seems to imply He bowed his head to pray about what was to come. He looks at the walls. He knows the tremendous responsibility on him as the general leading the charge. He knows it is him, him, him. He is supposed to lead them to conquer the promised land. He is supposed to divide the land among the people. He is the leader. And he recognizes his own inability to do this. I mean, even Moses couldn't lead the people to conquer the promised land. How was he supposed to do it? And it drove him to to bow his head, to cry out to the Lord. We, like Joshua, must seek Jesus for help in following Jesus. However, implicit in the idea of seeking Jesus for help is embracing our weakness and our inability to do what needs to be done. And this is a a, a humbling reality. You and I, we can't do it on our own. If we could, we wouldn't need Jesus, right? If I could fix my sins, I wouldn't need a Savior. If I could do all the things Jesus has told me to do on my own, 
What do I need Him or His Spirit or God the Father for? I don't. And so, the reality, everything we're supposed to do is beyond our capabilities. It is beyond our natural abilities to do it. Now, there may be some things you and I can do because of our natural temperament. Maybe you're not grumbly and gripey. And so you can just whistle while you work and do all things without griping and complaining. But I bet if we were to look in Scripture and we were to study enough things, we would find something. You would say, oh, I can't do that. Why? Because we can't do it. We are unable. And that is an assault on our pride. And it's intentional. Jesus intends to assault our pride. He intends to humble us so that we will cry out to Him. The Bible says God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So what happens is we try to do it in our own strength, in our own power, and we fail. Because Jesus is not going to empower us to do it Until we acknowledge our need for Him. He is not going to give us the victory in a way that will allow us to say, I did it. Look at what I have done. We we see a lot of illustrations of this in the Bible. Think about the story of Judges. right? Gideon and his army. The army's too big. Now they're vastly outnumbered. But God knows if He gives them the victory now, these warriors are going to walk away from the battle and say, Woo! We're awesome! So He makes him whittle it down to 300 men. Because 300 men could not defeat the army that was against them and they would have to say it was God who gave us the victory. You see, Jesus, He wants, He deserves the glory from anything that is done in us And through us and for us. And so He requires us to acknowledge our inability. To say we can't and we need Him. I think about it kind of like in the gym. If you go to the gym and you work out and you do a pressing exercise like the bench press, you often have someone to help you called a spotter. Now the spotter's job is not to lift the weight for you. The spotter's job is actually not to touch the weight for the vast majority of the time. The only time the spotter is to touch the weight at all is if you can't move it up anymore. And when you can't do anymore, the spotter puts his hands underneath the bar and with as little little help as possible, lifts it up. But he's not doing the work. He's not bench pulling it up. He's doing as little as possible and you're still doing the weight. That is the, the role of a good spotter. Now, if a spotter helps you with a bench press and you're keeping a journal of how your workout went, you don't get up and talk about how great the spotter is. Instead, if you're like what I would do, you would write down that you did it, but you put down, I put down WS if I'm keeping a journal. I did this much weight with this many reps with a spotter. But I'm not giving the spotter credit. I did the weight. I benched that weight, but they helped a little bit. The reality is Jesus isn't interested in being our spotter. Jesus is not interested in us saying, I did it, but Jesus helped a little bit. Instead, Jesus wants us to recognize our inability and call upon Him. 
He can strengthen us. He will strengthen us. But he's only going to do it if at the end our response is Jesus did it. Jesus will not make us strong until we accept our weakness and our inability. But once we do understand our weakness, once we do accept our inability, we should then seek Jesus for help and we have a promise for that. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched the feeling of our infirmities, but was all point tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We obtain mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. I love everything about that passage. First, notice we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Right? The idea of which cannot be touched means he, he does sympathize with our weaknesses and our struggles. See, Jesus, as He lived this life, He lived as a human. And He lived facing temptations and hunger and tired, and temptations to get angry, to gripe and moan and complain, temptations to be lazy, temptations to do things He shouldn't do. He faced temptations to, to not go forward, right? To, to just give up. He faced the same sort of things we face. I mean, that's what it means that He cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But it means He, he feels what we feel. He knows what, we've going through, what we go through. He feels our pain. Whether it's when we're sick, we suffer trials, we're discouraged, we're heartbroken, we lose a loved one. We feel lonely. We feel helpless. We face temptation. Or whether we just know we cannot go on. We cannot do what needs to be done. Jesus. He knows what that's like. Listen, that's important, I think. Right, have you ever... Have you ever tried to have someone help you with something and they think it's really easy and can't understand why you don't think it is? Right, so like, I'm terrible at math. I just, I have always been. In college, I tried to convince my teachers that college algebra was a form of devil worship and I should not have to be a part of it as a Christian. Right? I was terrible at it. And I had multiple tutors and teachers through the years, but I had one teacher. And, and she was not a good teacher. It was just natural for her. She could just do it easily, do most of it in her head. And she couldn't figure out why I couldn't understand it. And she was like, it's so simple. And I'm like... No, letters aren't used in math. This is stupid, right? I mean, I could not understand. She was useless to me. She could not explain it in a way that helped me pass my class. But someone who understood the struggle of trying to factor a polynomial, who understood how it could be hard and difficult and why it wouldn't make sense, now that person, that tutor, could be helpful. It's the same in this. Someone who never struggles and has never struggled isn't going to be a big help. Well, you should just be able to overcome that. You should just be able to do it. Just stop griping. Just be encouraged. Just don't be depressed. Just do better. Well, gee, that's helpful. I never thought about those things. But Jesus isn't like that. He's like, I know. I feel that pain. I know exactly how you feel. And then when we seek Him, He shows us grace and mercy to help us. I mean, He says, I know how you feel. Let me show you how to overcome that. 
Let, let me show you how to do this without griping. Let, let me show you how to take up your cross. Let, let me show you how to do good to this horrible person. It's horrible to you. Let me show you how to be holy. Let me, let me help you. Let me show you. Grace. Grace is more than what we need on the moment of salvation. Grace is strength. Spiritual strength to do what we need to do. And we are invited by Jesus to come to Him boldly and promised we will obtain mercy. We will find grace to help in our time of need. I love what time of need is Jesus, is, is the author of Hebrews talking about? It's never defined. Why? Because it's any time of need. Are you tempted to sin? And in a time of need, there's mercy and grace to help you. Do you feel like you really ought to blow up and act angry and just tell everybody how you feel? That's a time of need. There is mercy and grace to help you. Is this person treating you horrible and you want to throat punch them? There is mercy and grace to help you. Do you think you just can't take another step forward for you're just so overwhelmed? There is mercy and grace to help you. In every time of need you face, in every time of need I face, Jesus says, come to me. Call upon me. I understand. And I can help you in that time of need. But if we don't embrace our weakness, if we don't accept our inabilities, we will never go to Jesus and we will always fall short. We can only move forward following Jesus with the help of Jesus. So we continually seek Jesus in our lives. And then secondly, submit to Jesus. Joshua's response all throughout this passage is one of submitting to the captain of the Lord's hosts. So look at their interaction. Joshua, for us, are enemies. Cap, neither. I'm the boss. Joshua falls on his face. What does my Lord say to his servant? Captain, take your shoes off. Joshua does it. Captain, here's how the battle is going to go. Joshua, okay, that's what we're going to do. But he's... He needs help. The angel of the Lord, the captain of the Lord's host is there to give him the help. How foolish would it have been for Joshua then to say, walk around the walls. And we'll talk about this next week. Walk around the walls. I mean, I, I know I'm not like trained military commander like these guys, but I don't think walking around the walls makes him fall down. I think you got to launch stuff out. I think you got to attack the doors and try to run through there and climb over the sides. I mean, Walk around and blow trumpets and yell? I mean, that's, that sounds more like a, a wild Friday night than, than a military strategy. I, I think we're going to build some battering rams and we're going to... Wouldn't, wouldn't that have been foolish? Do you know it's equally foolish for us to say, Oh, Jesus, help me. It's in my time of need. And He says, here's what you do. Oh, well, no, that's dumb. I mean, there's just no way I could do that. I mean, no, 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 no. I, I could, I could not do that. I, I have to. I'm going to try it this way. But seeking Jesus is useless if we're not willing to submit to Jesus. In, in fact, I think it's worse than useless. I think it's actually probably offensive 
to him. And here's how I, why I think that. The Bible doesn't say that. This is my opinion. So it's Rossology, maybe not theology. So feel free to disagree with me. But if I come to you for advice on something you, you're good at, right? I come to you for advice on something you're good at, I'm not. And I say, hey, how do you do this? And you say, we do it like that. And I'm like, I don't think so. And I do it my way and mess it up. And then later I come back and I say, hey, I messed it up, but what would you do not to fix it? And you say, we'll do it like this. And I don't want to do it that way. I'm going to do it this way. And then I come back and go, well, I didn't do it again, and I messed it up even worse. So now what would you suggest I do? How many times am I doing that before you're like, get out of here, you're an idiot, I hate you. Right? How many times would you let me come to you asking for advice when you knew I wasn't going to take it? Would you be offended? Would you not be thinking, I know more about this than you do. I know how to fix that engine, factor that polynomial. I know how to balance the budget. I know. You're an idiot. Do what I'm showing you to do. You would. I know you would. I would. So I'm projecting on you. You would too. Why wouldn't Jesus feel that way? Here's the omniscient God of the universe. Who knows the end from the beginning and the words on our mouth before we speak them. How do I take up my cross and follow you? You do it like this. Well, no, that doesn't make sense. That can't be right. But that's what we do. When we seek Jesus, He reveals to us what needs to be done. And we choose to do something else. We're just saying, I know more than you. That doesn't make any sense. That's not what we do. I'm afraid far too often what we do is we make our plans. And then we pray and say, Jesus, bless these plans I have made. And and that's going about it backwards. What we're supposed to do is seek Jesus and say, what are your plans? And then when he shows us, we prioritize our lives around fulfilling his plans, doing what he has told us to do. There are three possible responses to Jesus' will when He reveals it to us. We can ignore Jesus' will. When we ignore Jesus' will, we just don't even take it into consideration. We make our plans. It's like the attitude of the people in Psalms 10 and 4, that God is in none of their thoughts. We just don't take Jesus into consideration before making moral choices or financial choices or relational choices, or before vocational choices, or, or any choice we make. We, we just do what we want to do. This is really a pride issue. I know the answers. I know what needs to be done. I can do it. I don't need anybody's help, not even Jesus's. So we can ignore Jesus' will. We can make reference to Jesus' will. To make reference to Jesus' will is to admit Jesus has a will. However... To admit Jesus has the will is not the same as submitting to Jesus' will. We're only acknowledging Jesus does indeed have a will. But we're not necessarily saying we're going to do it. If there's anything in recent history that has allowed us to see people who make reference to Jesus' will without doing Jesus' will, it is social media. If your social media feed is anything like mine, it is filled with people who praise the Lord, love the Lord, and talk about Jesus and he has done good things for them and he thank, they thank him for all that he's done in their life all that sounds so wonderful yet these same people haven't been to church since Easter of 2015 these same people cuss like sailors sexually immoral 
have often abandoned their spouse for someone else. Get drunk, post pictures and videos of their drunkenness. Mock people who are different than them. Just generally post any number of horrible things totally contrary to Jesus. And so at one minute it will be something horrible. And the next minute, Jesus loves you and so do I. Right? Or you should go to church, but I'm not going to. They make reference to Jesus' will, but they're not going to do Jesus' will. And then we can show preference to Jesus' will. To show preference to Jesus' will is to make it the priority in our lives. This is submitting to Jesus. And it's what we're to do. And it's how we're to live as a part of just trusting Jesus. Proverbs, a familiar passage. We'll cover this quickly. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not in thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. He shall direct thy paths. I think the idea of trusting Jesus in our heart is often misunderstood. First, trusting in our heart is, a, is something that impacts how we live our lives. Right? Because in the Bible, the heart isn't so much the seat of the emotion as the seat of the will. What's in the heart comes out of the mouth. What's in the heart comes out in the life. So when I trust in Jesus, it comes out in my speech, it comes out in my actions, it comes out in, in every aspect of my life. So if I trust Jesus in my heart, then I will live in a way demonstrating my trust for Jesus. Now, one thing that's interesting about this, we often use this in reference to seeking Jesus as we are today for things we can't do. But notice exactly what Solomon says. In all thy ways. What do you think all thy ways refers to? Now, I looked in a Hebrew commentary or a Hebrew dictionary and all means all or every or the whole. So literally what Solomon says here is we're to seek Jesus in all we do. To seek Jesus' will in all we do. To seek Jesus' will in everything we do. To seek Jesus' will in the whole of our lives. So the whole of our lives would be our money, our time, our moving forward. How to do what Jesus calls us to do. Our speaking, our morals, our values, our priorities, our attitudes, our actions, our reactions. All things. So we're to seek His will in all, the whole of our lives. But then when we seek His will and He shows us, what are we to do? We are to do it. To prioritize His will over anything else and do what Jesus tells us to do. It's never enough to know. We always have to do. To be doers of the Word and not hearers only. It's the same for the will of God. It's not enough to know God has a will. It's not enough to make reference to God's will. We must do His will. So we seek Jesus. How do I do this thing? And Jesus says you do it like this. And no matter what that is like, no matter how that is contrary to what I would prefer, I submit my will to Jesus. I prefer His will over my own. And I, I do it. In, in all areas of my life. Because His will 
is the priority in all things. Those who are truly seeking to follow Jesus, trying to do what He has called us to do, should always see a reason for crying out to Jesus. In all of our lives right now, there should be any number of things we look at and we think, I can't. I do not know how I'm supposed to do this. What on earth? It's just not in my nature. It's not my character. How do I do it? And that awareness of our inability should make us cry out to Jesus. But it is useless to cry out to Jesus if we aren't going to submit to Jesus and do what He shows us to do. We can only move forward following Jesus with the help of Jesus. And Jesus only helps us as we submit to Him and follow His leading. So let me ask you this morning, do you feel unable to move forward following Jesus? Do you feel overwhelmed at what Jesus is calling on you to be and calling on you to do? If you say yes to that, that's good. That's the right answer. Let that remind you of your desperate need for Jesus. You see, here's the deal, and we'll close. There are two possible responses to being aware of our inadequacy and our weakness. One is to fall into a pit of despair and think about how badly we just kind of suck at life because we can't do it. I can't win souls. I can't do these things. I just can't. I stink. I'm horrible. And that's the way the the path the devil would take us. The other path is to say, I can't. Jesus can. And and, and literally, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm not sufficient of myself, like the Apostle Paul says, but Christ has made me sufficient. So if you are aware of your inadequacy, choose carefully how you respond to that. Because the devil will be whispering in one ear, that makes you worthless. If you were a better Christian, you could muster it up. If you were stronger in faith, you could overcome that. You could do it if you just didn't stink so badly. That leads to a pit of despair and discouragement. It's completely disheartened. Or you can listen to the Holy Spirit who's saying, turn to Jesus. Seek Jesus. Submit to Jesus. Let your inadequacies, your weaknesses, your failings, let them drive you to the cross where you would cling to Jesus and say, I can't, but through you I can. Help me to do what you want done. Pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Help us to humble ourselves and acknowledge our weaknesses and our inabilities, but not in a way that leads us to a pit of despair. Instead, as we are aware of those, let it lead us to seek Jesus, to cry out to Him, to trust we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that the Spirit will empower us, that we are sufficient through You. Oh God, help us to seek Jesus for our weaknesses. And then when He shows us what to do to move forward, to overcome our struggle, to get out of our pit, to do whatever, 
Help us to submit to that. Not to say I can't and it can't be done. But rather to say I will will do what Jesus has told me to do. I will submit my will to His will as we step forward. We'll begin to see His power at work in us. He will strengthen us to do what He wants us to do. Oh God, You are so wonderful and You never call us to do something without giving us the ability to do it through you, through your spirit, through Jesus. Help us to rely on you. Help us to move forward in the strength of Jesus we ask in his name. All right, if you'd stand. As our musicians come forward.